0: You're listening to a Platforms Podcast, your source for cutting-edge, relevant Tara. Enjoy. This is the official getting back together of Platforms. the fifth year, and it's going to be awesome, and there's going to be amazing series on the podcast itself. You'll find it literally anywhere. I literally downloaded like 15 podcast apps yesterday and just see if they were all there, and it's all there. We decided on series that needed to be told. So, just because it's recent doesn't mean that old stuff is bad stuff. There's an awesome series by Urb Kiva all about proving God. Okay, literally go step by step. It's four different shurim, proving God. There's tons of stuff by other people. And so far we got one year down, meaning if you want to go listen to something about Pesach during Pesach, there's at least five things there for Pesach. You understand? Five things for Shavuot. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, you're going to find plenty of content there already. It's not only necessary to find the stuff today. Definitely go for it. Um, now, today is also super special because this is the first time Asaf is giving a share and this is amazing. <laughs> Without further ado, Asaf, bring Asaf, it away.
1: Okay, <laughs> yeah. thank you everybody for coming out. To listen to me, I know it's hard to come out to listen to people, especially when it's me. Um, so yeah, um, I find it very apropos that the first podcast show that we're organizing is also on the topic of Rosh Hashanah, or the head of the year, the beginning of the year. So we're we're approaching now the auspicious time of Rosh Hashanah, which. Many people take for granted the meaning behind. People just assume that it's a very important time. It's the day of judgment. It's the time day where you, you know, go to shul and uh, pray for excessive hours. Well, hopefully if you stay the entire time and uh, eat food and people tell you not to sleep. That that's the that's what Rosh Hashanah is for most people. People don't really get to the nitty-gritty of what's going on over here. Yeah, you blow some nice horns. But what exactly is going on over here? We, the Jewish people, we like to um, overthink to a certain extent. I want not call it overthink, but to think about what we're actually doing before we actually do things. Especially when it comes to the times of the Mo'adim, of the holidays. When we approach a holiday, it has to be specifically on that time. And what we are doing on that time is not some arbitrary coincidence of whatever. We never approach a holiday in a stance of, whatever, it's a holiday. Well You could go to any other religion. You say, what do you do in, I don't know, Christmas? I don't know. We get together with the family. We talk with each other. We eat. But, but why? Well, you know, it's the day uh, uh, old man G was born. You know, but, but, but who cares? He died, didn't he? Right? Like, who cares? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important day. You get with the family. Yeah, yeah, I understand. You get with the family, but but why? And that's where usually it ends, you know? Call those 1-800-TRUTH hotline to just tell you you need faith. I can save a lot of time now, but the Jewish people are not like that. We don't approach a holiday with a happenstance approach. We approach it with meaning. We approach it with purpose, and that's how I think we need to approach Rosh Hashanah. And if, you don't have a sense of what's going on in Rosh Hashanah. I think that this year might get you on the right foot. And if you do have a good idea already of what we're accomplishing at Rosh Hashanah, I still think that it's definitely worth seeing it from a different angle. But a good way to start analyzing what is the mission statement of a holiday is to look at the tradition and at the liturgy of the holiday itself. And when we look at the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah, we see three major concepts that repeat themselves over and over and over again. And it comes across in many different ways. But the three concepts are, and we have them also not only in the liturgy, but also in the Talmud, Malchiyot, Kinghood, where we are supposed to anoint God or a crown God, Eh, Zichronot, Remembrances where we're supposed to remember the our past or have God remember our past well wh- wh- however you understand it. And lastly, we have the concept of Shofot, which is the most this one is the most um popular one. This is the one with the horns with the fancy horns that go tut, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. Um everybody loves Shofot, but why? Why do we have horns on this day? What is this concept of anointing God as a king. Also, what is this concept of Zikhona? Why do we need to do Zikhona? But these are three concepts that repeat themselves constantly over and over again. And by analyzing them, I believe we can get we may deduce what is the purpose of Rosh Hashanah. Also, on a side, we do have this sort of tradition or concept that Rosh Hashanah Alongside Yom Kippur, like this, this entire ordeal starting in Rosh Hashanah, leading into the 10 days of Tshuva and, and Yom Kippur, and also for many of us who are praying Lihot every single day, this whole entire period of the year is colored with the concept of Tshuva, with the concept of Yom Hadin, the Day of Judgment. Which also, I believe, requires looking into what is this Yom HaDin? What are we judging? Who are we judging? How are we judging? And I would like to start from there, from this concept of Deen. Now, the father of Deen in Jewish tradition is Yitzchak, the son of Avraham, Yitzchak. Now, very Conveniently for us, on Rosh Hashanah, we talk about Akedat Yitzchak. The day Yitzchak was taken up to Haram and placed on the altar, on the Mizbeh. Now, he is the concept of Din, the concept of judgment. Okay? Now, he also, he is also the only person in the Bible That we know reaches a point of relationship that emanates love. That leads up to an an existence of love. The first time we have the word Ahava in the Torah comes about with the tzchak, Which is very interesting because you look at judgment and you say that's a very harsh, strict thing. How could somebody who is the father of judgment lead towards love? So I think we need to go back and understand what is Deen. And I would like to go back. I I went a little bit. I, I skipped a little bit ahead. But I would like to go back before even going down this rabbit hole, which we went down a little bit. What happened on Rosh Hashanah? On Rosh Hashanah, people think it's the creation of the world. That's not true. The world was created five days before. Rosh Hashanah is the creation of man. There must be something... That we don't, we don't just celebrate, again, we don't just celebrate the creation of man because man was created on this day. We celebrate the creation of man because this is something that impacts us in the, our present state right now in 2019. No matter who you are, Asaf Adida or Danny Sprung or whoever it is, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> we celebrate the creation of man because it has something towards, it's something to impact you. So now, what is the purpose of man? Well, we can try to analyze the purpose of man. Not in the entire... Well, I won't get into the entire purpose of man. But we can try to begin analyzing the purpose of man by trying to see what is the first thing he does once he gets into the world. Now, this is where the source streets come in. In Bereshit. Um, Perek Aleph. Through Chavchet, we talk about the the creation of man, and within literally the first pasuk of the creation of man, the first two Psukim, let us make man in our fashion. Okay, whatever. Male and female. Okay. Interesting. And the next Pasuk, they were just created. And God blesses them. And He tells them, Elohim, sorry, go ahead and, you know, be fertile and increase and fill the earth, earth, and master it, and can rule the world. So we, those, from the moment, that we talk about the creation of men, they're already being told to go ahead and Okay. Next. The next source, source on the source sheet, the sheet bet. It's not good for the man to be by himself. This is, by the way, the first time we we, we get back to the, the concept of man, of sentient man in the second peric, which is a recap of the entire creation again and God is saying it's not good for the man to be by himself I'll make him a wife and so as God is creating all the animals he brings them up to Adam and he names them by name he gives them their identity he gets to a level of understanding every single animal that he is able to give them their name, their identity. ha'adam shemot ha'shamayim chayat ezer Adam names all the animals but alas he does not find an ezer kenegdo. A the Sephira translated, a fitting helper. Okay now if we continue a little farther when God finally creates for man a woman, the first woman, Chavat to for him, Vyomera Adam, Zotapam, etime atamai, it a bone from mine, Ubasar mi bisari, Le Zoti Kerisha. For this I will call a woman, kimi ishla khazot, because it was taken from men. So Zotapam What does it mean? Voy Adam Radam Zotapam this time Rashi explains on that Kol Baadamarkolbe veChaya, that he had a relationship with every single animal that came in front of him. And he did not, he wasn't satiated by any of them until he came up to the woman. What is going on here? What the heck is going on here? If you realize this, let's look look back from the, from, let's just look back a little bit. God just creates man. And the first thing we know about him is that he's, Sleeping with every single animal to try to find himself a mate. That, that's some weird stuff if you ask me. So now, I believe that what's going on here is that man is created for the sake of having relationships. And Unculus says that kind of clearly, that nefesh melala, man is the only animal that can talk. As the Rambam explains, man is a medaber, he's a speaker. What do you mean, but no other animal is a speaker? dolphins can communicate you know ca- cows can communicate for all I know why, why, why are... What, what's so special about man? so they have fancier speaking equipment what's the big deal? you know? it's that they're the only people that are able to express one another and understand another, another person's identity that's a relationship if you ask me communication so we see that man was created for the sake of having a relationship and Yitzhak is the first person to be able to have a high-level relationship with, which comes out to an expression of love, as we, the next source. Yitzhak takes uh, uh, Rivka to his uh, to his tent, to the tent of his uh, of his mom. She becomes a, a wife to him. And he loved her. Till now, we didn't have this. Till now, everybody were having relations, but they weren't having relationships. They were having yada. They were not having Ahava, which Yitzchak is the, is, is the first person that reaches that level. So now we have to understand, why is Deen something that reaches allows you to create relationship? Deen is something that allows you to be able to get to an interaction with another person that comes out with love, which is... Something that you wouldn't have thought would be an outgrowth of Dean. You would think that Dean would allow you to just. People don't like the word Dean. When I say judgment, people say, Ikhz. You know, people don't like that word. People, people are scared of the word judgment, and I, I think this is a very problematic thing because. Simshi, you 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 went to the base marriage today, right? Did you walk into the wall? No. Did you walk? on the other side and then walk through to the door you manage to raise your hands to a certain level and p- push open the door and walk in right now what is that function called opening the door, opening the door. now what is a very basic function of opening the door you have to judge that your hands don't fly up all the way up you don't have to, you have to judge that you don't walk into the wall there are certain judgments that are necessary for life to continue in a functioning manner. Now, we don't like to think of that as judgment, but that is judgment. When you're driving a car, it's, easy, it's an easier analogy. When you're driving a car, you have to judge every single time. How fast am I going? Am I driving into that? Right? There are certain kinds of judgment. And when your judgment is impaired, a.e. When, i.e. when you're drinking alcohol, you tend to not make good judgment, and that allows you to crash into a tree. Right? So now, judgment is something that is very necessary for the human condition, and so, but we have to do proper judgment because there is a certain side to judgment, and that that's why people are scared of judgment, which is true. People are scared of judgment because there's a certain aspect of it which is not, which is contra- contradicting to the to the pursuit of life. But we'll get to that. So now, let's get back to our concept of malchiot, zikonot, and shofot. What is Malchiyot? Kingship, right? We're king God. We're making God king. What does that mean? How does someone go about making God a king? Right? You can make a, a king a king. What does that mean? You just give him your money, right? You pay taxes. You you know, what does it mean to make a king a king? What's the difference between a king and a mayor? I don't know. What's the difference between a king and a, a thief, right? If you're just about giving him money. uh, Meaning, what makes a king a king? And how do we make God a king? There's no throne for him to sit on, right? We can't build a throne for him because he's not physical. We can't put a crown on his head. So when we're coming to Rosh Hashanah and making God a king, what exactly are we doing? Now, I believe that there's a certain emergent property that comes out when people... Dedicate themselves towards a certain cause, work with other people towards a certain cause. That emergent property, I would like to suggest, is malchuyot, is the kinglihood which is. We'll, we'll get to how that this applies to rosh hashanah. But when two people come together and lift a thing, when one person can lift 100 kilograms and the other person can lift 100 kilograms, together they not only lift 200 kilograms but they lift. 300, 400 kilogram. They lift much more than they could have by themselves. And that synthesis, that outgrowth that comes out from this synthesis, this emergent property, that to a certain extent is mal-khiyot. Now, depending on what you choose to dedicate yourself, the synthesis, the syn- uh, what's the word, syntax? The outgrowth from this synthesis is very different, right? So if you have two people that, I don't know, lift, right? They'll lift more. But if you have two people that their pursuit is pushing, they'll push more. They won't lift more, they'll push more. So depending on what you put in, that's, that synthesis, the outgrowth of that, that melech, if you want to call, that's what does, what it calls, what it means to be mamlik something. When you're dedicating yourself towards a certain goal, Right? This emergent property that comes out of it is a melech. So, now what, is, what, is, what does it mean when we're saying we're mamlich God? What is God? I think that what we're trying to accomplish in Rosh Hashanah is that we're recognizing that there is a motzi Rishon, that there is an absolute reality, a prime creator that created everything that is going on over here. And we're saying we recognize that you exist and we recognize that all of our actions need to be in congruence with this absolute reality that I have recognized. Right? And that's what Malchiyot is. And we need to do it on Rosh Hashanah. Jack, you get what I'm saying? We are coming on this day and we're saying we recognize that there's an absolute reality that I need to my life to be in congruence with this absolute reality. And why is this important? Because this is the only way that deen could be accomplished. Because what are we, when you're judging, you need a scale to judge against. If you go into Rosh Hashanah and you're judging who has, who, who looks the nicest, who's praying the loudest, who's davening with the most geschmack, <laughs> right? The, 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 the end, the, the end, the the end, outgrowth, if you want to call it the end, what you're coming out from that relationship will be very different than if you go in, come in with a different perspective going in, right? So we need to recognize that we're judging incongruence with absolute reality. That's the only way to do judgment. We don't care about any other kind of judgment. This isn't a parking ticket, you know, small claims court that you're going into. You're going into a court where you're Going in front of absolute reality, and you're, and that's the counter marchiyot. You need to understand that since there is an absolute reality, I recognize that my life needs to be in congruence with this reality, and that allows us to move on to the next part, which is zichronot. Now that I have established what the scale is, right? Once I establish what currency we're working against, what weight I'm working against, now I'm able to go and count all of my, I'm able to remember all of my actions and bring it up to light right next to that. I can, I can take out my morning coffee next to absolute reality and I'm able to see, does this fit? Does this fit into the big picture of my life as I have just established it that it should be? Right? Because if my life is put a, if I'm a light being shown, shined again, what is it, shown, shined, shined. If I'm being shined (laughs) against a a picture and it doesn't fit, then something needs to change. Now, most people go about changing what they're, what they're establishing the scale to be. (laughs) We're, we're coming across we're coming and we're placing absolute reality as the head of the scale and we're going in with Zichonot, remembering our past, right? Remembering our past and counting down our past and seeing if it fits with this absolute reality, okay? And now, once we under- once we go through that, once we go through that and we find that our lives actually is incongruent with this absolute reality and now we are aware and it is, we're conscious about it That's that leads us to a reality of shofarot of horns okay so now what is this concept of shofarot shofarot literally means horns it first makes its debut by the Akedat Yitzhak when Abraham takes his son on a road trip on a on <laughs> a nice road trip up the mountain you know and they get to the to the altar and uh, Yitzhak says hey Dad, wh- 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 where's the sheep? And Avram's and like, eh, you're the sheep. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're the sheep. And Yitzhak accepts it. That's crazy. He accepts it. He says, you know what? Sure. I'm going to lay down on this altar and have my father kill me. That's crazy. He just accepts it. That's the first time we hear about the Shofrot. Two people that are totally invested, 100% in growth. You don't understand that Avraham also, everyone thinks of Yitzhak as if he was the one who was going through, you know, Yitzhak, oh, Yitzhak, sorry, everyone thinks of Avraham, oh, it's a, uh, it was so bad because he told everybody not to kill their kids, but he had to kill his kid. He had to kill his kid! That's exactly the problem, not because he told people not to kill, because he had to kill his kid, do you understand? This is the one kid he has, I mean, other than Ishmael, but the one kid that's born, he has two kids that were born to him at a very old age, he never had kids, and now he has to go ahead and kill one of these kids? The same kid that God gave him, God's like, yeah, 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 take him out. That's crazy, and he's just like, sure, I will do it. I'm sure he he had a a lot of emotional turmoil, but in the end, he said, sure, yes, I will go ahead. And Yitzchak also, he wasn't a little child, he went ahead and he accepted it, you know? These are two people that are so totally invested in this relationship with absolute reality. They're so they 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 are engaged in absolute reality, and that's where we find shofar the first time. They take the the shofar and they you know we, uh, they doesn't say it, but that's where we that's why we blow the same shofar as them because we're remembering that we're blowing the same the same shofar as the isle that they that Abraham ended up killing because we want to remember that on shofar. Where else do we find Shafot? Har Sinai. Okay. Interesting. When we're in the Ananeha Kavod and moving. When we're literally underneath the presence of God. Okay. When we're going out to war, where we're when we're representing this absolute reality against Amalek, that's where we find it. And Yemot Mashiach and better migdash okay every single time we blow the shofar i don't know why specifically that sound i'm not going to get into why specifically that specific sound has to be the sound. but that is the sound of our relationship with this absolute reality this is the life of absolute reality the sound awakens within us this absolute reality when we're connected to it and that's what we're remembering with this sound so once again, to recap, that so we're coming into Rosh Hashanah, looking at ourselves, trying to see if the life that we are engaging in is incongruent with the life that we want that we want to engage in, which is absolute reality, God, the King. Okay, and that allows us to get to a level of life which is shafot. But why are we doing all this? Why are we doing all this specifically on the day of man's creation? We're doing all this specifically on the day of man's creation because this is the only reason we get to live. You don't get to live f- to, to, to eat. You don't get to live to drink beer. You get to live to engage in a relationship with absolute reality, with Amit Rishon. The entire Rosh Hashanah is just to reaffirm within us life. And that's why life is the only thing we're actually praying for the entire time. Place us in the book of life. Let us us live. Not because we'll be good, we'll be good, let us live. It's supposed to rejuvenate you when you come out from Rosh Hashanah. When you come out from this whole ordeal, you say, either I need to fix something, and now I know that my life is incongruent, and I can go ahead and fix it, or you say my life is already incongruent, and I know that I have a life to go out and live. It's to reaffirm in us that we constantly have to be checking ourselves and redirecting our course to be able to be in the congruency of this absolute reality. But if we're not in this, we have the Midav rachamim. Thank God. Thank God that we have 10 days that lead to Yom Kippur to retry and to re- actually try to get again, again to this concept of it's a It's a backup plan. The ten days. It's a backup plan to to re to again once again once again reinf, reinform us ourselves that we're we're in this plan. So now, where do we see the ten days? Where do we see the ten days? It's on the source sheet. Rosh Hashanah. Skip down to the bottom. It's on the bottom. Masachet Rosh Hashanah. Yudchet Amud Aleph. I believe so. I don't know why they put two dots and not. Okay. The Gemara is talking about Tshuva. right? Emat, when is the individual person's Tshuva accepted? The 10 the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. As we know, that in these 10 days, Naval which we'll get to in a second, was, 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 was struck. So, my avidaitayo, well, I won't get into the details, but we see that the, 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 the remes that we have in the Talmud to the Aseret chuva Tshuva is the 10 days of Naval. Now, let us scroll back. It's up one, the source, the source right before. The story itself of Naval. I put the entire thing. I'm not going to read the entire thing. But I definitely advise that whoever who wants to... Hey, you should learn Tanakh, just in general. But this part specifically, before Rosh Hashanah you should probably read. But just to give a recap. Shmuel dies, and Vino Melech is in the... Wherever he is, where is he exactly? He's in the plains of Yehudah, if I remember correctly. And he's, he's the de facto king of that area, because Shaul is still king, right? And because he is the de facto king... He is guarding everybody's crops, and he's guarding everybody's flocks, and nobody is losing any any money which they normally would from people stealing their flocks. Now, Toshu and his soldiers want to eat. He sends ten servants. Vaishlach David asarah ne'arim, ten servants, and he says, "Alu Karmela, go up to the Carmel. Ubatimel Naval, go up to Naval. Ushaltem lo bishmis leshalom, go up to Naval and ask him in peace, and ask him for food." Ask him for food for, and tell them, I saved your flocks. And nobody lost flocks in any of this time. And because of that, if you could kindly please give us some food. Okay? okay. Naval explains back. Naval David. mi David? Who is David? U ben Who is the son of Ishai? Hayom Rabu avadim ish mipnei Adonav. I'm going to give my food to strangers? Are you crazy? Are you nutso? You want me to feed an entire army, literally? You guys are nuts. Okay? So now the Nare David just turn around. They go home. They go back to David. David is outraged. David is outraged. The same David, by the way, who wouldn't kill Shaul, who wants to kill him. He's outraged and he wants to kill Naval. Okay, Naval's wife Avigal goes up to David and consoles him and says, "Don't worry, it's you know." She brings food and she says, "Don't worry, he's like his name; he's a carcass." Okay, and here take this food, and he gives her the, the Naval's food, and he calms down to David. Right, then she comes back, and what's the wording? But Avigal and Naval. So Avigal comes back from giving him, giving David a Melech all of Naval's food, pretty much. Naval is eating a feast, like the feast of the king. And his heart is good on himself. And he's very drunk, man. Didn't say anything. Till the morning comes, Let's let him eat. When he sobers up, and she tells him, "Hey, I, I, hey honey, I, 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 fed the army." And his heart died within him, and he became a stone. And there were ten days. And God killed Naval and he died. He struck him, and he died. This is very interesting. Because I believe that this is exactly what is going on over here and, these are and what is going on from Rosh Hashanah. I think that what is going on over here is a problem of coronating yourself. Naval coronates himself as king. He makes himself king. He feeds for himself. He eats for himself. He's so involved in the pursuit of himself that he's not able to laakir tov. He's not able to recognize the good that another person, which Davina Melech, who is the king, gives to him. He's not able to look outside of himself because he already placed himself in this position where he himself is the king of himself. That's not a life. If you're so involved in the pursuit of yourself that you're not able to interact in a relationship with anybody else, you're no better than a stone. You're an animated stone. You're worse than a cat. You're a stone. You're nothing. You're nothing. You're 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 a rock. You can't engage in a relationship with anybody in this world. You can't engage with the purpose of what this world is meant to be. You deserve to die. And that's what we're learning from Naval. Avigal understands that. He's a carcass. That's his name. He's a carcass because he's, he's a person who does not know how to relate to any single person because he placed himself as a king. Rosh Hashanah comes and says, hey, 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 no. Who's the king? Who's the king? Absolute reality. God. God is the king. And if God is the king, you have no right to sit down and make feasts for yourself. And if God is the king, you have no right to engage in idle, whatever that doesn't lead to anything. You have no right. You don't have a right to your life. You have a right to use your life in a proper way. But you don't have a right to just use your life for whatever you want to use because you are the all-so-knowing great person that just happened to stumble upon the earth. That's naval. That's a carcass. And so that's what we're trying to come and approach in Rosh Hashanah. And that leads us to Sukkot, which is living in God's shade, which we won't get to there. Maybe I'll talk to about that before Sukkot. But the entire purpose of Rosh Hashanah is to allow us to realign our lives to be able to engage in an actual relationship with this absolute reality, which is the entire pursuit of life. And I would just like to end off with a quote from Socrates, I don't think he meant it like this at all. I don't. I didn't see any single person who, who who understands this like this, but I just think it's a very good quote to go into Rosh Hashanah. His quote is, this is from his deathbed, Plato wrote it in the dictum. The unexamined life is not a life worth living. Now, I don't know what he meant it for, but I, I, I think it means that if you don't constantly... At least once a year, but at every pinnacle point of your life or every milestone moment of your life, stop yourself and ask, is the pursuits that I'm engaging in congruent with absolute reality? If you don't constantly recalibrate your internal GPS to the to true north, if you don't really recognize that there's an absolute reality and attempt to reconnect to that absolute reality... It's better to die.
0: This has been a Platforms Podcast. Please share it with your friends. If you can think of one person to send it to, please take the time. It truly is the best way to help us out. If you have any comments or suggestions, please go and email platformspodcast at gmail.com We would love to hear from you.